Well, here we are again, friends. And being assigned this topic several weeks ago, I really had no inclination to just how fitting this Crossroads theme is going to be for, in many ways, for us personally, for us as a congregation. And, uh, and of course, the scriptures speak into this whole thing of these four friends meeting. It becomes a very personal thing rather than just words on a text or in our Bible. But when I thought about this more recently, I thought of Castaway, Tom Hanks' movie, where he is on a FedEx airplane delivering packages, and there's a, they crash in the ocean. And he's the only survivor. He somehow finds wreckage from the plane, floats to an uninhabited island, and survives there for who knows how long. It must have been years, because when he put his raft together in a last gasp effort to get back to civilization, he was rescued, came back, only to find that his wife and family had long declared him dead. There was a funeral for him. And she was remarried. The last part of the movie shows the character played by Tom Hanks, at a crossroads. And he looks down each direction very deliberately. A pickup truck drives by, and a woman explains each direction where it heads. And that's just about the end of the movie. And so we are left to wonder, which direction will he go? We kind of have a hint, but not spoken. So I found that image in my mind as we came to Psalm 85, which is a lament from a faith community, not from a person. It's from a faith community, and this is why I find this so, so well uh, in line for us today. So I find it fascinating to read the Psalms and recall that they are Jesus' Bible. They are the prayers that Jesus grew up with, was taught in catechism, and they are his and his community's Bible. And I've often wondered... We don't know the answer for sure, but how did Jesus apply Psalms, and this one, Psalm 85, to his life? We won't quite know that answer, but maybe we can ask what might have prompted the writer of Psalm 85. Well, it's addressed to the leader of the Korahites, and being a bit curious, I found out that the Korahites have their origin way back with Moses and Aaron in that time, And the Korahites were upset with Moses and Aaron's clan who had this exclusive right to the priesthood. And so there's this conflict going on. It's recorded that Korah objected to the control of the priesthood by the clan of Moses and Aaron, as I said. And so this Korahite identity appears to continue long after Moses and Aaron and Miriam's time. And so maybe Psalm 85 has a connection to centuries-old conflict. But what is more certain is that Psalm 85 is likely connected to the return from the exile and the disappointing events that came as as the Hebrews came back from Babylon. In our elective class that meets up front here, if not empire, what? The return of the Hebrews to Palestine with Ezra and Nehemiah leading the way describes ruined cities destroyed fields and drought, opposition to resettling and rebuilding. And so it's an appropriate prayer from a faith community 
lamenting what they had, what was now, and wondering what was going to happen in the future for them. The psalm easily divides into these three sections, as Josh and Kelly read, one through three recalls what God has done to save them in the past. Slavery in Egypt, return from exile from Babylon, and they could go on and on. Four through seven describes the current distress and the requests of God. The hard times after the return from exile. Restore us again is the plea to what we once knew and what we thought we were coming back to. 8 through 13 is an understanding of what God intends. Some have called it the kind of a picture of salvation for, or a picture even more poignant, the heart of God's character for humanity. And so they're between the already and the not yet. What's already happened and yearning for what has not yet come. And we find ourselves in that place many times, and so therefore the crossroads theme is, is, is fitting. But of particular interest is verse 10, where we find these four attributes, steadfast love, faithfulness will meet, righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And Lederach picks up on this personal approach that's in the text and makes it even more person. He calls them four persons not four titles in the page. In chapter 6, he takes this creative approach and names them in his way, truth, mercy, justice, and peace. And then he has them each share from their point of view, and he shares about their fear of each other. I found this to be a powerful chapter in reading it, a very powerful chapter. Because when you make things personal, it's more than just something you read on paper. So Lederach names faithfulness as truth. And he speaks as these four persons. So truth is speaking now. In times of conflict, I want to bring forth what really happened. What really happened. That's truth according to truth's point of view. I desire to be faithful to the truth. There's only one of me, but I can be experienced in different ways. Reminds me of the Gospel of John, where Jesus is said to have come with truth and grace. And as you read the Gospel of John, we come across things like John 4, the woman at the well. And reading that again, this woman was all about finding out about the truth about Jesus. So she says, you have no water, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, and he in turn speaks truth to her, you have no husband, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. And so truth speaks, wanting to bring forth what really is, except, of course, there's more than one view of that. And Lederach notes that truth is just very much afraid of mercy. Mercy speaks for herself or himself. I am the new beginning. I'm concerned with people and their relationships. I am built of steadfast love. It is my purpose in life to bring forward the eternal grace of new beginnings. And you sense the conflict between truth and mercy there? 
Dorothy Day writes about mercy when she quotes, when she writes about her own self. I cannot worry much about your sins and miseries when I have so many of my own. I can only love you all, poor fellow travelers, fellow sufferers. And my prayer from day to day is that God will so enlarge my heart that I will see you all and live with you all in his love. It's a different approach than truth, isn't it? Guess who mercy is afraid of? Justice or righteousness, doing what is the right thing. Lederach has justice speak in this way. I'm concerned with making things right. I consider myself a person that looks beneath the surface and beyond the issues about which people fight. My work is to make sure something is done to repair the damage, especially on the victims in downtrodden. A modern testimony about justice or what is right comes from South African Bishop Desmond Tutu at his sermon appropriately at All Saints Church in Pasadena. And he says, God's family has no outsiders. Everyone's an insider. When Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw. And Tutu asked, did he say I will draw some? And tough luck for the others? He said, Tutu goes on, he said, no, if I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all. That's justice, doing what is right. Giving people what they need rather than what they deserve. And justice fears both mercy and peace. Peace speaks next. I agree with all three. I agree with all three is peace's first statement. I am, listen to this, I am both the child to whom the other three gave birth and the mother who gives, who labors to give them life. I'm both the child and the mother. I hold the community together with the encouragement of security and respect and well-being. From Aung San Suu Kyi, opposition leader in her home country of Myanmar, Nobel Prize Peace winner, Nobel Prize for Peace, 1991, she has this thought. Every thought, every word, And every action that adds to the positive and the wholesome is contribution to peace. Each and every one of us is capable of this. Let us join hands to create a peaceful world where we can sleep in security and wake in happiness. Peace fears no one, except in Lederach's way of thinking and maybe ours, peace does fear the manipulation of people using truth and justice and mercy for their own purposes. So then the most beautiful thing about the chapter is that as the narrator, Lederach asks all these to get together in conversation. And when they get together and start talking, he says to them, and what is this place called where you all stand together? I think we know that word, don't we? It's reconciliation. But they have to get together first and share stories, and share their fears, and share their viewpoints before anything can happen towards reconciliation. I remember a long time ago, 
when I was in my early 20s taking an inductive Bible study class under Herman Tunn. And he described the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as this kind of a setting where you have someone, you have four people at the four views of a, cross, of a crossroads at a street corner, perhaps. So you have north and south and east and west, and there's an accident. And four people view it from each of these directions, and they might each report something different. Now, what the one person reports doesn't mean the other person is lying and vice versa, but it's, it's, this, it's this, I guess, this grasp for the truth of what really happened. And so Herman Tan said that's kind of how the Gospels are. They don't negate each other, but they have four different viewpoints. Depending on when we're standing, you will have the different opinion of what, of what happened. And it strikes me with this conversation about, about crossroads and one's view of understanding, I find for myself it fits very much into our conversation that we are currently with Mennonite Church USA and Lancaster Mennonite Conference. And there's something I really wonder about. I don't have anything to, to back anything up, but I really wonder, I really wonder and lament that my perception is that I, really, I think that well, I guess I just wonder whether truth and mercy and justice and peace all have had a chance to talk with each other regarding the proposal to leave Mennonite Church USA. Perhaps they have. I can't say one or another has, has happened, but I'm not sure they have. Loretta and I's experience here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church is, is coming to a crossroads. And uh, it's a little different. We know which direction we're going. It's not quite uh, like some crossroad pictures. And after over 20 years in the lead as a, as a pastor, I experienced truth and mercy and justice and peace as associate interim pastor here at East Chestnut Street as the passenger of the car rather than the driver. That's what came to me earlier this week. That's been my experience. I've been the passenger in the car I told Todd I wouldn't say I was in the back street. I wasn't a back street driver, a back seat driver. That has so many bad connotations. Plus, I didn't feel I was a back seat driver, but I was the passenger. And doing a lot of observing, and doing a lot of helping, assisting, but taking the lead from 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 the lead pastor Todd. And I really feel in my own sense of self that. I had a chance to kind of recharge my batteries. And I feel like this experience has really, really brought me to a point where I'm ready to lead again down at Sunnyside. So I, I want to thank you, and we'll say some more later uh, about this uh, chance to be here, this opportunity, and, and we're thankful for that. And finally, I would say that the way that you have welcomed us, now it's your turn to do so, and I know you will, with Samantha Leoy. It'll come naturally to you because you're good at it. So now it's your turn in terms of uh, this whole crossroads thing. We're, we're closing this, the sermon time again with a chance to both hear and act. To practice hearing and then to practice doing. As you remember Jesus' words, let anyone with ears to hear listen. We want his teachings on reconciliation to enter our ears to make a difference for how we live. And that means we commit to interacting with each other with the reconciling ways of Jesus.
So again, in your bulletin, if you would, in your bulletin, we are invited to prayerfully choose one of the experiments in reconciliation that have been so thoughtfully prepared by our experiments team of Craig Dalen and Janice Sensenick and Jay Parrish. So with those in hand, I invite you now to a time of silence to consider them and to commit to one of them. And in this time of silence, I invite you to read slowly through them and invite God's Spirit to invite you to one or more of them so that we might be well-equipped with maybe one new attitude or perhaps one new skill or one new, one new motivation that would all contribute to the ministry of reconciliation. And to this, we can all say, Amen. Shall we? Amen.